Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. You know, General George Patton once said, he said, courage is fear holding on one more minute. Courage is fear holding on one more minute. Someone also once said that there's a fine line between courage and foolishness. Then they went on to say, too bad it's not a fence. (laughs) Nevertheless, you know as well as I know, there are times when we need courage to hold on and not give up. But on the other hand, I would also say there's sometimes we need courage not to wait one more minute and do what we know we need to do. If you've been with us, we are in the book of Daniel, and we have jumped on to this subject in chapter 3 of these courage principles. Last week we covered this, that I will be confronted with the idols of this world as King Nebuchadnezzar built this large statue and and they were all supposed to worship this, we're going to be confronted in our culture with the idols. We talked about idols exist so that you might glorify them. That's the whole purpose and point is that you would glorify them and then idols exist so that you make a God of them, that you bow down to them, that you give them preeminence in your life. And you and I are going to have to have the courage to not give in to that. And then we talked about we'd be criticized by the people of this world. The moment that Daniel Uh, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the moment that they said, hey, we're not going to do that, they were called out by some other people and criticized by saying, oh, king, don't you remember, these are the three that you appointed, and they're not bowing down, and we talk about it's going to take the courage to stand up to the criticism that people offer. And then we also talked about then it'll move from that you'll be confronted and criticized to now you're going to be commanded to worship the gods of this world. And there they were, they, didn't, they were given the ultimatum, either bow down or be thrown into the fiery furnace. Let's pick up the conversation and learn yet another courage principle, one today and one next week. And then, yes, to your praying, we will be out of chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we find some incredible verses, some of my favorite verses, really in all the Bible, and I want to read them to you. I know that you have been standing for a while, but yet I can't help but do it because I need us to honor when God is speaking. So if you don't mind rising to your feet just one more time as we hear the word of God. Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Put your eyes carefully on 17 and 18. If it be so, if we have to go into the fiery furnace, God whom we serve is what, church? He's able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will what? Deliver us out of your hand, O king. But but I want you to say this with me. Let's just read verse 18 together out loud. You ready? Here we go. But even if he does not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Thank you 
May God bless the reading of his word. Here's what I want to teach you today. Here's the new thing that's on the, on the cover of the magazine. Here it is. I must be courageous in the face of danger in this world. I must be courageous in the face of danger. Here's something that the Bible teaches, and I know that you know it's true. If the culture can't get you to bow to what it wants you to bow to, they're going to try to get you to bend. If the culture can't get you to bow and they can't get you to bend, then they're going to burn you. You can just count on it. They're going to burn you. These three teens, I don't know if you remember, they're talking to someone who has the power of life and death in his hands. You've already seen the fits of fury that he's had and, and, and what happens when the king gets mad. People die. So when you think about their tremendous courage talking to the one person in the entire known world that's conquered the known world at that point, and they're saying, we won't do something. And see, there comes a point in time, and church, I'm telling you, it's coming to America quicker than you can imagine. When this world is going to demand that we tone our stuff down and that we bow down, and if we don't bow and then we don't begin to bend, we're going to be thrown into the fire. And when that time comes, here's what I want you to know. Speak your confession. Speak your confession that Jesus is Lord. Speak your confession that Jesus is Lord. You see, when these, these men were approached and said, hey, you've got another chance, guys. I'm going to give you another chance. That's the context. When you hear the music and all the stuff's going on, you've got another chance. You just bow down and worship this, this statue that I've made to me and my God. Just, just do it. You won't be thrown into the fiery furnace. But, but they said no. And they didn't bow down. And so now the king is like, so what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Verse 15, now 16. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, look, we, we don't need to give you an answer here. In other words, you know what we believe, king. You know that we believe that there is only one God. There's only one that's worthy of worship. There's only one whom we are going to bow because we have told you what the Bible says in Exodus. It's almost like these three men had a premonition and the Holy Spirit laid upon their hearts something that we find 600 years later with the coming of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We find these words in Mark 13, verses 9 through 11. But be on your guard, for they will hand you over to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. It's interesting, the nations were there. And when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you're to say, but say whatever is given you at the time, for you are not the one speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo tell the king, we have no need to answer you. In other words, the facts are clear. We are not going to bow down and worship. Furthermore, our hearts and our minds on this issue were made up a long time ago. And we are not about to adopt some spineless compromise that says something like this. Oh, King, we're going to bow on the outside, but we're really standing up against you on the inside. They, they were having none of that nonsense. So let me practically tell you what is going on and help you understand this principle in our culture. See, it wasn't faith in God that caused the problem here. It was the refusal to also acknowledge other gods that was the problem. 
Faith in Jesus is never the problem. It's the insistence that he is the only God and the only way of salvation that's the problem. That he and his word are really the only true sources of any authority, period. I'm here today to tell you, you probably won't get in trouble at your job or in your school for saying that Jesus is your personal Savior. But when you say that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that Jesus and Jesus alone sets the rules about what is right, what is not right, about sex, about gender, about marriage, about morality, about money, and on goes the list, the moment you begin to say that, that will be the problem. Our society, for example, says you're free to do what you want, but how dare you label somebody else's choice as sin? How dare you not bow down to my preferences? How dare you not prostrate yourself during my pride week, affirming that my way is just as valid as Jesus's way? And if you don't do this, you know it, you've seen it, you will be punished by this culture. And they may not be throwing us into a literal fiery furnace right now, but you will lose your job. You will be arrested. You will face a lawsuit over hate speech. It's the same old spirit of Nebuchadnezzar that's alive and well in our culture today. They will tell you that you can have your Christian convictions, but now you have to keep them in the closet. Because the moment you fail to bow down in homage where you're supposed to, the fiery furnace awaits you and I. You see, our society says that we're fine to say Jesus is our Savior, but we cannot say that he is the only way to heaven. You're saying, how do you know that? Well, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey has, uh, she's, she's everyone. You, you, if you're alive, you probably know who she is. She has publicly stated on her television show, she said these words. There are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes in my way, but with six billion people here on the earth planet, it can't possibly be the only way. Well, there's a problem because she identifies as a Christian, and this is that there's more ways to God. Guess what that tells you? She's not a Christian. Don't fall for that nonsense. She went on and says this, what kind of backwards person are you believing that there's only one way to God? A few years ago, the dean at Stanford University forced a group of Christian students to stop sharing Jesus on the campus. He said, you are fine to be Christians and together weekly to worship, but you are not allowed to try to convince others that they can only be saved through Jesus. And I quote, he says this, all faiths are equally valid as religions. You see, it's fine to worship Jesus, but you still need to bow to the statue of pluralism And our version of the fiery furnace will be yours. You see, human society today is just like it was in Nebuchadnezzar's day. They're fine without practicing any Christian teaching so long as you still bow where you're supposed to bow. So in other words, the culture says it's fine to worship Jesus, but we need to edit your Jesus and edit your Bible for you. But hear me, the follower of Jesus, for every follower of Jesus, that's just simply not an option. He is Lord and he is Lord of all. And it has been said that if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all in your life. Coming to Jesus, listen to me carefully. Coming to Jesus is not like signing a rental car contract where you can leave off certain options. 
So you go into the rental car company and you, you ask them for the car, they give you the car, and then before you leave, you have to sign this form. And so they ask you these questions. Do you want navigation? Do you want prepaid fuel? Do you want prepaid tolls? Do you want this ridiculously overpriced insurance package that'll give you a zero deductible if an airplane falls out of the sky onto your car? And you have the freedom to say, no, I don't want that, or I'll take that, but not that. And people think in our culture today that that's what we do with Jesus. People today just think, well, I'll take this about him, but I won't take that about him. You can't just accept parts of Jesus. You, you can't wait and postpone the other parts of Jesus till you're ready for that. I read about one college girl that one time she, she said, I accepted Jesus as Savior now, but I plan on making him Lord later. You can't do that. Jesus comes as Lord of all, or he doesn't come of Lord at all in your life. You're either fully surrendered to Jesus, or you are fully living in rebellion. Think about it. Because these guys stood when everyone else bowed. And even though they got thrown into a fiery furnace for it, an entire empire got to see the reality of the God of Israel on display. Scholars say, and we've talked about it before, that you can ultimately trace the faith of the wise men who came to see Jesus at Christmas back to this encounter of these young men. So my question to you is, is what will future generations say about your courage? What will future generations say about your testimony? What will they say about your stand to stand on Jesus and Jesus alone and the word of God and the word of God alone? What will they say about how you have used courage? Because literally, friend, their eternal future depends on the courage you display today. So I'm telling you, if you're going to be courageous and face the dangers in this world, you're going to have to hold to the confession that Jesus is Lord. But secondly, stand on your convictions. Stand on your convictions. I believe God can. I expect that he will. But I trust him if he doesn't. This is crucial because I want you to know, listen, if you kind of tune me out, if I lost you at any point in this message, dial back in right here. What I'm going to share with you right now is probably some of the most difficult stuff that I could share with you because this is probably 90% of the reasons people call me as a pastor. Because they can't fit their brain around this concept. I believe that God can. I expect that he will, but I still trust him even if he doesn't. We've got a problem with that last part. People leave the church because God didn't answer their prayer. People get mad with God because God didn't do it their way. So we need to unpack this just a little bit. So just hang on with me. I want to deal with this. I want to put this down where, where we all can share. So Christian courage believes that God can. The first thing I noticed from their answer is that these three Hebrew teenagers knew indeed who was sovereign and who wasn't. Look there in verse 17, it says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. 
All the other million people out there on the plane are saying, look how small and piddly these three young men look next to that 90-foot-tall statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made. But yet these three boys are looking and they're saying, look how piddly Nebuchadnezzar looks to the great God that we serve. And this is where courage begins. God is bigger. Can I tell you that today, that God is bigger? God is bigger than your problems. It's the most basic principle of faith, that God is bigger than what we see, what we face, any of them. He's bigger. Listen, I'm not trying to be insensitive to you. You know I care for you. But God is bigger than cancer. God is bigger than than the lost job that I'm experiencing. God is bigger than a broken marriage. He's bigger than your friendships. He's bigger. He's bigger than your friends. He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than the shame that you may have walked in here with. God is bigger than the grave that may have taken one of your lost ones. And if you are his child, nothing happens to you without his permission. Can I tell you this today? I believe this to be true. You are absolutely immortal on this earth until God says so. Not even a hair from your head falls without your father telling it to. So why, the hymn writer asked, should I feel discouraged? (laughs) Why should the shadows come? For Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, and his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. See, Christian courage believes that he can. So so just turn right now to your neighbor real quickly and say, I believe that he can. Just do it for me. Kicks and giggles. I believe that he can. But see, the Bible says over and over and over and over again what they say here in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, God is able to save from the uttermost those that come unto God through Jesus. God is able. Hebrews 3 verse 18 says that God is able to help us when we are tempted because God is able. Philippians 3 21 says that God is able to put everything under his feet because God is able. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12 says he is able to keep those things that have been committed unto him against that day because God is able. Ephesians 3 26 says that he is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can think or even ask. You know why? Because God is able. God is able to bring that wayward son or daughter back home. God is able to heal. God is able to give you that job that you need. God is able to work mightily in that difficulty that you got yourself into. God is able. Courage says, I believe God can. Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe that he can? Do you believe that God is able? Because you're going to face some situations where you think God is not able. And I'm here today to tell you on the word of God, he is able. Is he able, church? Abel, Christian courage also expects that he will. Not only do I believe that he can, I expect that he will. Because look in verse 17, the Bible says this, and he will deliver us out of your hand. 
He will deliver us out of your hand. How did they know that? Little secret here, they didn't. They didn't know that. You see that in the next phrase. And even if he doesn't, they didn't know. They didn't, had no idea how it was going to turn out. They had no direct promise from God about this. There was no special huddle session where God pulled them aside and told them how this thing was going to go down. But they had this belief and suspicion in their heart that God would deliver them because they understood that God is good and God is always willing to showcase the glory of his name. Let me remind you today that many of the feats of faith in the Bible were not done in response to a direct command of God or a promise guarantee of how things would work out. For example, 1 Samuel 14. The Philistines were oppressing Israel and they've taken away all the swords. There are only two swords left in the whole country and Jonathan, that's King Saul's son, has one when he comes upon a garrison of 20 Philistines. It's just him and his armor bearer, two guys with one sword between them facing 20 armed Philistines. 1 Samuel 14, 6 says this. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will work for us because the Lord is not limited to saving by many or by few. Perhaps. I mean, if I'm that armor bearer without a sword, I'm like, bro, <laughs> if you're trying to persuade me to attack 20 men and I ain't even got a sword, you got to do better than perhaps. Jonathan just expected that God would glorify his name. Doesn't Jonathan's words sound a little bit like what David says in Psalm 27, 13? I certainly believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we're not talking about just rewards in heaven and the sweet by and by after we all die, but I expect to see you, Lord, breaking into my life, into my family, into my friendships, into my ministry now with the evidences of your goodness. I mean, think about how many of the miracles of Jesus came about just because someone without a promise, without a plan, took a dare and just expected God to do something. Think about the woman with the issue of blood who came up behind Jesus thinking that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she'd be healed. And Luke makes it very clear that Jesus was not planning for this. He was on his way to do something else, and it's probably the farthest thing from his mind that this woman was even coming. And then unexpectedly, she reached out audaciously, taking a dare, expecting God to be good to her. And Jesus turns and says, I've scarcely seen faith like that anywhere. Your boldness, in other words, is taking a dare on my goodness, and that I will reward, and he healed her. You see, courageous faith doesn't just believe that God can. Courageous faith expects that he will. Now, let me put a disclaimer in here. This is not to say that God is a magic genie lamp whom if you rub the right way, he'll give you what you want. Sometimes God in his goodness tells us no or tells us to wait. But I'm just here to tell you that in this story, as we see multiple times throughout the Bible, God rewards those who expect him to do something. So let me ask you this morning, where do you need to take a dare and expect God to do something? 
Is it reaching out to share your faith at, at your workplace or at your school? Do you need to just expect God to do something as you take a courageous stand at work, even though it may cost you your job? This morning, maybe you're persevering in a prayer request, and you just have been wanting to give up, but God's saying, just expect me, just keep praying and expect my power to break through. We don't talk about it a whole lot here, but I'm going to be talking about it more and more, but I'm just telling you, maybe today... The Lord has put this on your heart to submit an application letter to foster a child. But you're so scared about how that may change your life, you haven't even thought about it. But God's saying, listen, just expect me to do something. How about maybe boldly choosing to keep a kid, even though you're, you're young and you're pregnant and you feel alone, you just need to expect that God's somehow going to see you through Or maybe your marriage right now is on the rocks and and you're just about ready to throw in the towel. But maybe today God's saying, will you just expect me to do something in your marriage? Maybe it's taking the, the courage to confess a sin habit to a trusted friend, even though you'd rather shave yourself all the shame and all the embarrassment. But God is saying, whatever you bring into the light, he covers. And he's asking you to just expect him to do something when you do that. How about maybe you're here this morning and God's been calling you to ministry? Or maybe God's been calling you to the mission field. And maybe today God just said, listen, courageous faith says, God, I expect you to do something. I do not know how it's going to work, but I am willing to take a dare on you, God. Maybe it's a financial gift that God has been putting on your heart, but it scares you to death. You're like, God, that's my entire 401k, but you're asking me to give it? God is saying yes, and he's expecting you. Or it could be simply to start tithing on a weekly basis. But will you take a dare on God? You believe that he is able, but do you expect that he will? Finally, Christian Courage this morning says this. I'm going to trust him even if he doesn't. I believe that he can. I expect that he will. But I'm going to trust him even if he doesn't. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't save us from the fire, let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. I want to say something here that is incredibly easy for me to say, but it is so very hard for me, I'm sure it could be for you too, to live out. Too many of us are following Christ because we want his deliverance and rescue from the stuff of life. Can I just tell you that that's never been the issue, friends? Jesus didn't come to rescue from the stuff of life. What Jesus desires from your life is confession that he is Lord and obedience to him as Lord. even if it costs you your comfort, even if it costs you your reputation, even if it costs you your life, 
Is Jesus really worthy of your full obedience if you never get healed, delivered, or given victory in some area of your life? We have to ask these questions. The ESV Study Bible has some interesting notes here. It says, there was no doubt in these three men's minds to God's power to save them. Yet the way in which God would work out his plan for them in this situation seems less clear. God's power is extended in dramatic ways to deliver his people as when he parted the Red Sea. At other times, that same power is withheld and God allows his people to suffer. Verse 18, it says, but even if he does not. You see, even if he doesn't deliver us, King, he may let us burn an agon an agonizing death in the fire for simply standing up for him. But King, you need to know today that we would rather die in the flames with just Jesus than live in the palace with just you. You see, they believe that God was only big enough to protect them from Nebuchadnezzar, but they believe that knowing the Lord was better than anything they would have to give up. Said differently, and if you're writing stuff down, you might want to write this down. It's not because I say it and because it's good. It's just simply because this is going to come back. (laughs) Courage believes not only that God is bigger than the opposition, but he's better than any alternative. Courage believes that that God not only is bigger than the opposition, but that he's better than anything else. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes you take a stand and God delivers like he did with Jonathan and like he did with David. And sometimes you take a stand and he lets you suffer just like he did his own son. The question is, and that you and I have to ask is, if he lets you and I go into the fire, is Jesus enough for you? And the only way you're going to have the courage to suffer for what is right is to believe that Jesus is enough. It takes faith to believe that God is able to deliver. It takes faith to serve God when he does deliver, but it takes even more faith to serve God when he chooses not to. The question is not a question about the power of God. There's no question in their minds about the power of God. They've already expressed confidence in the power of God by saying our God is able. It was not whether God could. They believed and expected God could. The question is, is if God is going to. So let me ask you today, church. Let 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 me just get personal down here, really where all of us are this morning. Are you ready for the if nots with God? Are you ready for the if-nots? I mean, it's one thing to serve God when everything's going well and he answers our prayer. It's a completely different thing when everything is falling apart and God hasn't even answered one prayer in a year. And Job put it this way. In Job 13, verse 15, he says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Are you ready for the if-nots of this life with Christ? There's no question about his power. God is able. Sometimes the question is about God's plan and God's purpose. 
So they're basically saying that if it be so, if it be so, God can. He is able to deliver us out of this furnace. But if he doesn't, we want you to know that we are not bowing down to anyone. We are still going to serve King Jesus even as we go down in flames. Let me ask you today, have you made up your mind that you're going to serve Jesus Christ regardless of what happens and how he answers or does not answer what you are praying about? Are you going to serve him faithfully? Are you going to get after his kingdom like never before and have joy regardless of whether he does or doesn't answer what it is that you're struggling with? You see, you've got to think through this biblically. Think about Acts chapter 12. Here's the account of James, one of the apostles, Simon Peter, one of the apostles. And then this chapter, we're told that the people against Christ killed James. They were planning to kill Peter, yet the church prayed for Simon Peter all night, and he was delivered out of prison and not killed. Here's the question. Did the church not pray for James? Of course they prayed for James. But why did God save Peter but not James? Was God able? Sure. Did they expect him to? Sure. But even if he doesn't, you see, it's all a matter about the plan and purpose of God. And can I just say this to you right now, friends? You were created for God's glory. God wasn't created for your comfort. And the more we live this life, we find this to be true. God is so good and so sovereign that he knows that some things are just simply better for you and allow you to suffer. How could God allow people to suffer? Because he understands that suffering is better for you somehow. He knows what you do not know. We must continue to believe that the Bible teaches us that God is good, he's just, and he's right. But we also believe that it says that we are here because we have been created for his glory. He does not exist for us, we exist for him. So when the if nots happen, we have to believe that he knows what he is doing. That we are better off in his hands, even if it doesn't look like we are. Verse 17, they say, if it be so, our God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's interesting. Because they were basically saying, hey, no matter how it goes, king, this ain't in your hands anymore. This is in my God's hands. And they're expressing their belief in the afterlife. I don't know if you caught this. And see, here's our hope, friends. This life is temporary. It's passing. And it's nothing. To, to, to it pales in comparison to, listen, I may not get delivered out of the problems and the difficulties here, but one day's coming, and I'll be in heaven, and all that will be over forever and ever. And on that day, you'll be glad you stood for Jesus. If God doesn't deliver you, will you still serve him? Hebrews eleven thirty two 32 through 39 says this. It says, for what more shall I say? 
For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. That's our friends here. Escaped the edge of the sword from the weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. So here we've got this bunch of folks that it worked out right for, and now we're moving into a bunch of folks that it didn't. And others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. People of the, whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts on mountains and sheltering in caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, watch this, did not receive here what was promised. Why? This is the ultimate question. Why does God allow certain things? Here it is. Because God has provided something better. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Listen to me. If God doesn't give us what we want, just know he'll always give you something better. We sometimes think that if people just had enough faith, then they would be delivered. But I don't think the people in that passage lacked faith. Why does God save some and others not? I truly don't know. But these three didn't have a discussion. They recognized their desires and God's desires might be different, but they didn't make their obedience contingent upon anything other than just pleasing God. We pray and ask God, please get me out of this and I'll do whatever you wish. And we make a promise to negotiate a contract with God. And these three men didn't. They just said, we don't know what you're up to, God. We don't even know for sure how this is going to work out. But we're definitely not going to bow. Faith is not primarily receiving from God what we want, but accepting from God what he gives When you can't trust his hand, you've heard it. You can trust his heart. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him because God is a refuge for us. Selah, that means think about that. When Julio Rubial was a pastor in Colombia, he received death threats from the many drug lords there about his preaching. And he said this, he said, I am immortal until I have done everything God has asked me to do. And he kept preaching the gospel until he was martyred for Jesus Christ. You see, courage believes that God can it expects that he will, but it trusts God even if he doesn't. Jeremy, would you and your team come? This morning, this altar will be open. 
there'll be some men and women that'll come down here to pray with you and take you before the throne of grace. But can I tell you this morning that one of the things that I want you to know, I don't want you to miss this. God is able to save you from your sin. God created the entire universe. He created you to be in a relationship with him. But the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and forever propelled us into being sinners. Because of that, God separated himself from them and they could no longer get into his presence and men began to die. So they died spiritually and they died physically because the wages of sin is certainly death. But God made a promise that he was going to send one that was going to deliver us. So God is able to save us from our sin because he sent the deliverer Not only can you believe that God can save you this morning, you can expect that he will. If you simply just do this, if you're willing to turn from your sin and just turn to Jesus Christ and put your faith in the fact that he died on a cross to pay for your sin, that he was buried and raised again, you can expect that the moment you put your faith in that, that God will deliver you. But even if you don't today, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you can always believe that he is able and he's willing to save you if you will call out upon his name. So maybe this morning that's what you need to do. You need to give your life to the Lord and let him forgive you and cleanse you and make you new. Or maybe this morning, because you stepped across that line many years ago, and you said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, but today you're facing something that calls that into question. Maybe today you need to step into hard with Jesus and say, Lord, even if you don't, I'm going to trust you. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you, and then you can come. Please, Lord, speak to us. We are living in difficult days and our hearts are heavy. We want to trust you, Jesus. Help our unbelief, oh God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.